because Spartan, above all else, is about ripping people off the couch. I mean, that we have trouble kind of being ourselves. Whereas if you walk down the street with a five-year-old, they're going to jump into a puddle. They're going to laugh at something that's funny. They're not going to have any preoccupation outside themselves. And I think Spartan kind of gives people that permission. Uh, and I think that so Runga is this sort of non-replicatable experience. Uh, like, and I think that it's the one exercise everybody needs to be able to do well. And it's, but what it really taught me is that until you're breathing well, you're not going to fix anything. Ryan Muncy is probably the smartest guy I know. Trust me, Muncy is the nutrition guy. Ryan Muncy's out there trying to make the world better for all of us. The Optimal Performance Podcast is bold, edgy, creative, entertaining, and epic. Ryan Muncy is my go-to guy. Ryan Muncy is he's the first guy I call. He's making people's lives better. Ryan Muncy's an innovator. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast. We are coming to you live, well, not live, but we're recording this at the Bulletproof Conference. Our guest this week is Joe D. Joe, you got 140 characters to give us your bio. Pretend like this is Twitter. All right, man. All right. So uh, my name is Joe DiStefano. I go by Joe D.I. I enjoy coffee and kettlebells. Is that 140 characters? It's definitely close, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that works. Coffee and kettlebells. Maybe that'll be the title for the show. Great. But there's a lot more that we're going to talk about besides that. So um, let's start with Spartan. Okay. You are like basically the number two guy other than Joe DeSena. Is that accurate? It depends on what, what you're looking at. There's a, you know, the team is pretty incredible. Right. I mean, uh, you know, Joe obviously started it. I mean, but we have, I'm head of sport, but we have... Uh, head of production, we have brand, we have, you know, it's really just grown uh, just exponentially over the years. So um, it, it's a real kind of team effort at Spartan. So how did you get to where you are now with Spartan? It was entire, like completely on accident. Um, I went to school, um, when I went to, when I first went to college, I was a little undecided. Um, fortunately for me, I was able to meet a guy named Dr. Jeff Godin, uh, at my college. And he was a professor in the exercise science department. And shortly after meeting him, I decided to be, to switch my major into exercise science. And, um, he motivated me to get into endurance sports for the first time in my entire life. I was into other sports growing up, never, never liked to run. I have a memory just driving home from high school with my mom and watching the, um, watching the cross country team run and just saying like, why would anybody run without purpose? Like why, like if I'm running, it's either to get to first base or it's, you know, from a, from a hive of bees, right? Like I'm not going to run for, for no reason. I just didn't understand it. And Dr. J, who I call him, he, he really got me to kind of see the light and, um, it got me into a lot of different races and things like that. He ended up being a friend of Joe DeSena. Now this was, this was in the early two thousands when I was in college. So it was years before Spartan, but, um, turns out 2010, 2011, Dr. J said, Hey Joe, you haven't done a race with me in a while. Why don't you come on out to this one? Mm -hmm. It's called the Spartan race and the rest is kind of history. But from 2010 to 2012, I never thought it would grow to what it's become today. I, yeah. And that's, that's my next question. Why do you think the growth has been so exponential? You know, I think 
I have a good friend named Ian, uh, Ian Adamson, who's a, you know, he's kind of the Michael Jordan of adventure racing. And I think he put it best. He just said, you know, everyone wants to be a kid again. They just need the right environment to do it. And we're so kind of preoccupied with how we look, how we, how we, how we're, how we're, um, judged by the outside world, um, this or that, that we have trouble kind of being ourselves. Whereas if you walk down the street with a five-year-old, they're going to jump into a puddle. They're going to laugh at something that's funny. They're not going to have any preoccupation outside themselves. And I think Spartan kind of gives people that permission. Uh, and I think that's why in the beginning, our marketing, used, we used to just say, you'll know at the finish line, trust us. And, and that was kind of it. And uh, I think that still holds true. You know, it's interesting because before we recorded this, we were waiting on this room to open up. There was a yoga class going on in here. We did some breathing and some some movement type stuff and uh i we were supposed to have our eyes closed and and i had my eyes open a little bit more than we were supposed to and i noticed a lot of people walking by us and uh giving us some sideways glances (laughs) but but to your point about kids i mean had that been a group of four children they would have just been oh those kids are over there playing like that's cool right but when it's adults there is judgment there is that's talk about that a little bit yeah, you know, well, and this is the whole thing, right? There's there's a few different things that go on, I think, socially. And I think there's um, – when when someone's doing something strange, you should have seen Amelia and I yesterday doing Kundalini. You don't want to talk about looks. Um, but um, I think that um, when people look at somebody, there's a lot going on themselves, right? I think we're, we all have our own – kind of cruxes and our own kind of psychological issues that we're all dealing with on a daily basis. And I think when you look at someone doing something weird, there's, there's the judgment, like, you know, why would they do it there? Why do they need to do it there? Why don't they do it in a closed room somewhere? Um, but I think there's also a little element of like, I wish I didn't care. Right. Like, I wish I didn't care. I wish I wouldn't mind looking like that in front of people, flexing my spine back and forth, breathing really heavy. Um, I wish I didn't care about the judgment. And I think a lot of this sort of sideways glances could be rooted in that. Uh, And I think uh, when you think about the people that really, uh, you know, not everybody, but a lot of people that that grow, whether it's large followings or people really respect, a lot of them have the tendency to act outside the norm and, mm-hmm. and outside the status quo. And that's what makes them stand out. So I think there's, there's a little bit of everything, but, um, I think we talked a little bit too, just about tight muscles and mobility and, and Aaron Alexander yesterday in this room that we're in right now taught a course. And, uh, he said that your physical body is a reflection of your emotional body. And so I think about, What's so funny is if we can let go of some of that and, and let go of some of that worry, concern, worry about anything outside ourselves, don't be surprised if that shoulder loosens up, if that, if that hip loosens up. Right. And, uh, and the most ironic thing, just like the exercises we just did, a lot of, that's a completely different paradigm than I take to a gym environment. If I was doing personal training with somebody. It's a very rigid, linear uh, paradigm. It is. In that world. It is. But perhaps even though I wouldn't do structurally those exercises in a personal training environment, doing them in a mental emotional environment has a completely different list of benefits mm-hmm. that outweigh any, any detriments I might see in them if I had my personal trainer goggles on. So that's, that's the interesting thing. Yeah. Aaron's been on the show twice. Uh, so if you guys haven't caught those, I'll put the links to his episodes in the show notes, go back and, and check those out. Um, so you mentioned that Spartan races give people that excuse or that outlet to go have fun. 
obviously you can't run a Spartan race every single day. Um, give, give our listeners some tips to play or have fun or build some of that into daily routine. Yeah, man, you know, and it, it's, it's so funny you mention that because one of the reasons why I think I gravitated to Spartan so fully is I live that life. Mm-hmm. I, um, I, I jump over trash barrels. If I'm on a, I'm on a run and it's trash day, I'm going to jump over as many of those things as I possibly can. And I hope they're tipped over and make it a little easier. But I think that if you have a hunch, if you see an opportunity to be physical in your everyday life, and it doesn't matter if it's, you know, you're wearing a suit or it's raining out or whatever, if you have an inclination to do something, just do it. If you see a recycling bin and you want to jump over it, just do it. And I think that's sort of number one, because if you give yourself permission to act freely like a five-year-old would, you look through life you look into life with a whole new set of lenses. Now, when you're walking by a playground, you don't just delete it. I think we're deletion creatures, right? Yeah. There's, there's opportunity everywhere. And you know what's so funny too about that? Um, I guess I'm kind of rambling, but back in the day, my actually my most successful athletic pursuit was skateboarding. I, um, I was really into skateboarding as a kid, ended up taking it to a reasonably high amateur level. Um, but what's so funny about being a skateboarder is you're always searching for the best spots, you know, and you're, you're driving and you're saying, look at that. We used to call it a set, Mm -hmm. a set of stairs. Mm -hmm. Look at that set. Look at that set. We got to come back here. Um, and I think we're deletion creatures. Everyone else is driving by that set of stairs and they don't like, it's a set of stairs, stairs, big deal. Well, it's got a great handrail and you see, there's a perfect way to get on perfect place to get off. And so I think if you start living in that sort of Spartan mindset where, yeah, I jump over recycling bins and I purposely step in puddles and I do anything that I feel like it, feel like doing at an opportunity lends itself, you start seeing more opportunities. You start seeing more locations, places, and things to get physical on. And the beautiful thing I've noticed in the last five or six years is when you, wherever that mindset starts for you, whether it's running or, or in the gym or whatever, it's a skill or a way of thinking that translates to every other domain of life. 100%, 100%. Whether it's business or, or anything else. Without a doubt, you just, you start thinking a little bit outside the box. And I think, uh, I think that's a huge, huge opportunity. And there's a lot of things right now in my own life that I'm kind of realizing that you start, you start doing something and you start doing it just because that's what you do and that's how you think and that's, this is the way it is. But once in a while, you have an idea and it changes everything. And uh, I think, like you said, it, it does. It lends itself to all the other areas of life. So let's keep it with Spartan for a little while. Let's say somebody was a first-time racer. What tips would you give someone for their first race? You know, your first race, the idea here, and obviously everyone's different, but if you think about uh, kind of the state of our health, I'll say somebody that's thinking about doing a Spartan race, maybe they go to the gym sometimes, but maybe they're not super fit. Um, I think the goal is let's just think about surviving the race, right? So uh, most people would run our sprint distance, which is three to five miles for their first event. Um, I think the first thing is a lot of people say, I can't run a Spartan race. Well, no one's running a Spartan race. Most of these things are on ski mountains. Even the guy that wins, the girl that wins is going to walk and hike at some point. So just get that out of your head. If it says three to five miles, I want you to think 90 minutes to two hours. That's how long you have to be on your feet. And, and in that context, you're going to be hiking. Maybe you'll jog a little bit if it's flat. Um, and you got to be able to hold on to something for a minute. If you can stay on your feet for the distance that we tell you it's going to be on tough terrain and do a one-minute dead hang, cumulatively, you'll probably survive the race. Now, every race after that, 
you want to refine your skills a little bit. And you're not going to cross the finish line feeling chipper and great. You're going to be pretty beat. But if you can do those two things, then, then you'll survive. And then when it comes to what I would call thriving in the race, it just refine, 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 keep getting better, practice your spear throw, work up to a two or three minute dead hang. Now you cross the finish line with a smile on your face. Yeah. And that was going to be the next question is, you know, how do you take that a step further for like the advanced athlete, somebody who's done a few and now they want to place higher. Right. Right. And we've got, you know, competitive age group categories now, which are kind of new for 2018. Uh, this year we had elite, which would be, you know, our pro team athletes competing for thousands of dollars. Uh, after that, we had a competitive wave, which was anybody that just wanted to be held to those standards. To be honest, that was where I lived. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have any delusions that I could win this thing and beat a former Olympic caliber athlete, but I want to be held to the same standards. Right. Um, and then after that, we had open, which was just anybody, you know, uh, weekend warriors. But next year, we're actually changing competitive to age groups, which is going to be really cool. So you'll be competing within your age groups. And um, to me, you kind of work through that for a year or two, and then eventually your goal should be to en- enter the elite or pro wave. Um, as as the sort of sport ref- keeps going, you know what's so funny is back in the day, 2000, whenever it was, 11, Joe DeSena said when we were all sitting around a table in Vermont, it'll be a shame the day people practice obstacles. Because Spartan, above all else, is about ripping people off the couch. I mean, we'll have a million people run the race this year, and maybe there's a couple thousand out of a million that are really competing on a high level. So sport is the future. We love the sport. That's what I manage. That's what I live. But sometimes I got to remember that there's 900,000 plus people that, that aren't doing the sport. Um, so I think Joe saying that always stuck with me because this is just, I call it the ultimate human sport. Like get as fit as you possibly can get as comfortable in your own skin as you possibly can. And this is just a manifestation of what Joe thinks of when he thinks of humanistic fitness. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the sort of idea. Get your crawl down, get your squat down, do a lot of lunges, do a lot of running, do a lot of hanging, do a lot of pushing, and, and you'll do great. And Just keep raising that bar. And whatever we come up with, you'll be fit for the job. But if we get too paralyzed on, well, I got to really get good at monkey bars. Well, tomorrow the monkey bars twist and turn and Mm -hmm. move. And and you're not ready for that because you practiced old school playground monkey bars. You know, that's interesting because as you're going through that answer, I'm thinking about all of the other sort of competitive sports that you see, whether it be CrossFit Games or American Ninja Warrior, you see all these guys and, and really whatever event throws them, say, 2016 as they train for 2017 they're training based on, you know, what they sucked at or what they failed at the previous year. (laughs) Right. And in the next year when they show up, it's something different. So, and to me, that's sort of that like anti-fragile approach. If you read the book, so, so it's, you know, the, the theory there is, you know, you're whatever the worst thing that happens is, is always like the worst thing that's ever happened. And if you prepare based on the worst thing that's happened up to this point, you'll still be unprepared for whatever happens next. That's hysterical. You say that because when Joe, Joe's, Joe's career as an athlete was Ironman and hundred milers and things like that. And before Spartan, he had an event called the death race and it was just, you know, make two columns. Ironman is blah, 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 blah. Death race is all the opposites. Right. Um, so people not cheering you on, but telling you to quit a start line and a finish line that are unannounced and you don't know where they are. Um, 
And the death race, what's so funny about it is the first year he made people go up and down a mountain with a wheelbarrow full of rocks. And the next year, some guys showed up and they're like, we've been doing the wheelbarrow all year. And he's like, oh, that's not in the race this year. This year, we're going to run 10 miles and then do 3,000 burpees or something ridiculous. And those guys just mentally just broke. Right. Uh, so, yeah, that's the idea. But, you know, and I think when you're bridging the gap, when you're, you know, if you're training for a race, you know, do all the things I said. But obviously, when it becomes your job and you're a pro and you've got sponsors, you, you got to start practicing your monkey bars. you got to build the spear throw in your backyard. Right. Uh, you got to kind of get on get on course and practice. And, and just like any other sport, swing a baseball bat, practice your kickflip, whatever. Um, you got to do it as you get to that higher level. But I would say for the first time racer, don't get too paralyzed on what's out there. Just, just work with a coach. We've got a certification program and everything, uh, work with a coach on getting that humanistic fitness. That's about staying on your feet and being able to hold on to things and you should be pretty good. So this has been so far focused on what is your, your day job. Let's talk about sort of the the side gig, the shirt you're wearing, Runga. (laughs) Yeah. Tell our listeners uh, what that means, how the name came about, and then let's dive into the event. Yeah, man. So, you know what's so funny of Runga is a, f- a funny thing because it's, it's, I always say I accidentally started an adventure travel company and it's still only one event a year. It's pretty exclusive, it sells out almost immediately. Um, and what it is, is basically when I was really, really jet lagged, to be honest, I was on a million flights in a short period of time. And I was actually hired to speak on breathing, which is a a hobby of mine, um, in Costa Rica, which the event was canceled, but I was so tired. I had the week set aside. It was, it was happening. And I went down and, you know, since the event was canceled, it was empty besides me and a yoga instructor named Jules. And, um, we kind of hung out for the week, did a ton of yoga, like four hours a day of yoga. And then in between yoga classes, I would go zip lining or whitewater rafting or something. And it was such a great reset. And the other thing I should mention is I left my computers at home and charged my phone, but didn't bring the charger. Cause I was like, I, I sensed that my phone and my tech and my email, that was the source of my sleep issues. That was the source of my stress. That was the sleep of my anxieties. It was all tied to my tech. So I left it all at home and I, I charged my phone, but didn't bring the charger. So I had a lifeline and it's, you check Facebook, you get stuck on a, on a, on a rock somewhere. You don't have a lifeline. So right. it really motivated me to kind of take a break from tech and, and just focus on my, myself. And it was such a great reset that the next year I invited some friends and, you know, it became this little thing. Now here we are five years later or so. And, you know, we bring 50 plus people a year to Costa Rica or Panama or wherever it ends up being and, and kind of immerse them in this, in this, this, this week of impossible failure. I mean, you're surrounded by folks like you and I, you know, Ben Greenfield, Aaron Alexander, guy, Scott Dolly, who's on this show, uh, Jewel still comes. And, uh, so you're surrounded by these experts that maybe you read about, or maybe you listen to their podcast, you're away from your tech, you're detached, you're in, you know, kind of a desolate location surrounded by a beautiful beach and a bunch of kettlebells. And you just get after it. You get after it, and you're you're. It's a it's impossible failure. People come out the other side just just completely changed. So uh, yeah, that's Runga. And if you want me to talk about where the name came from, well, I, I don't do very much yoga, and um, I've done. I did a 30 day Bikram yoga challenge. That was really my first exposure into yoga. Joe actually at Spartan is really into yoga. He's really into Bikram. And when I first met him, I told him I didn't like yoga. And so my job interview was he forced me to do a 30-day Bikram yoga challenge. 
and it almost killed me, but I learned so much. Uh, but the irony is after that, I didn't really do very much. And then when I went down and met Jules, it was another sort of boot camp where I go from no yoga to two, two hour classes a day for eight days. And, um, the funny thing is I'm pretty flexible. I can move. Okay. But I, I, at that point, especially, I didn't have the breath. I didn't have the sort of inner unit. And so I'll get into any yoga pose you want, Jules, but I'm not going to have my face. I'm going to have a grimace. I'm going to have a cringe. I'm going to be feeling it. I'm going to feel like something's about to snap. What you call it yesterday? Spartan face? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So um, after a particularly uh, tough set, she teaches vinyasa flow. So after there's like three or four poses in a row that I'll get into, but it's not going to look pretty and it's not going to feel good. But after we had a reset called chaturanga. And so that always stuck with me, that pose. And when I decided to give this thing a name, I was like, why don't we call it chaturanga? And then it was just like, that's kind of too many syllables and it's kind of weird. So let's cleave off the front and we just left it as runga. And the funny thing is before I trademarked it and everything else, I was like, well, let's just put it on a shirt and see what people think. And people like almost within a day were saying like, oh, it's a runga thing. You know, why do you, why do you have those lights in your ears? Why do you wear blue blockers? Why do you do this? Why do you do that? Well, people just started saying it's a runga thing. I don't know. I learned it from Ben Greenfield. He's a weirdo. Um, so it, I was like, wow, this is, this is really going to stick. And so that's kind of the story. Nice. Uh, so if people want more on the Runga events, you, you guys have your own Instagram account and yeah. website. Yep. So um, rungalife.com. Uh, the Instagram is go underscore Runga. Uh, it's in, if you follow me as well, then it's in my bio. Uh, but yeah, check us out. And um, this year sold out, but we're, we opened pre-registration for 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it started to sell. And so I closed it because we don't know my, I, I didn't really like no price, no date, no location. And it right. started to, to move. So I had to quickly sort of shut it down, but stay tuned to the website because, uh, we're going to be opening and offering more details soon. And give our listeners a little bit of, um, sort of behind the scenes on what is involved with setting that up. Cause I've heard the story from Scott and we talked about it yesterday with, you know, the logistics of getting, all the ice that you need for the ice baths to, you know, Costa Rica or Panama or wherever it's going to be. Right, man. And that's it. So, you know, I think this, there's a, a bit of an emergence of, um, kind of yoga retreats, right. And it's a relatively, it's great. It's cool. I'm not talking bad about anybody, but the sort of the, the rising paradigm. And whenever somebody calls you Runga a yoga retreat, I tend to correct them. Um, I don't know what it is, but it's not that. Because that's sort of this emergence of, you know, you're 20 minutes from the airport, you do yoga every day, you eat some decent food and you go home in a week. Um, and so Runga is this sort of non-replicatable experience. Uh, like, you know, you, like you just mentioned. So we're doing ice baths on the beach this year. Well, we're five hours from anywhere. So just filling ice baths, getting ice to that beach is a job all in itself. Um, I also am obsessed with kettlebells. I love kettlebells, but I really like dragon door kettlebells. I could go to Panama City and find some, some not so great kettlebells and, and swing them and nobody would know the difference. But you know what? I want dragon door Russian kettlebells at this event. I don't want to be swinging some garbage, right? Um, we want, you know, dry farm wines. Try getting dry farm wines to Panama. That's a fun one. Uh, horseback on the beach. You know, we had to find a farmer that had enough horses for us to borrow for this thing. So it's this, this, 
the whole idea is you're drinking wine no one else that'll ever ever be in Kambuta will drink. You're swinging kettlebells no one else in this area will ever swing. You're riding a horse. You're going deep sea fishing with some local fisherman that we scouted and talked into helping us. Uh, so it's it's a non-replicatable experience. Yeah, nice. All right, so kettlebells. What's mm-hmm. your favorite kettlebell exercise? <sighs> it's a tough one. I mean, I'd have to go with a get-up. I just think... Um, there's just, there's so many benefits to it. And I think that it's the one exercise everybody needs to be able to do well. And it's, and it's also, it's, it teaches so much more than strength or mobility or, or athleticism. It, it teaches patience and it teaches breath and it, te- it's everything. So I got to go with the get up. All right. So give us some of your coaching cues for that, because it is a complicated move. It is. I think the best coaching move that you can you can use is to just tell people that, um, your exercise might not be a get up yet. So people might only go to the elbow. People might only go to the hand. So don't look at the exercise in its entirety as what you might do because everyone's different. And I've been teaching get ups for, I don't know, 15 years. And it's easier to teach somebody that's never done get ups, get ups than someone that's done them bad or someone that learned them proper improperly. Um, so, but actually I have two coaching cues that I really use a lot. The first one is when you go to your elbow, um, you're not rolling onto your elbow. I think that just gets people messing it up. You're, you're pulling the earth underneath you. You're pulling your, your elbow under your body. So you're not rolling onto your elbow. You're pulling the earth beneath you. And then just on the way down when you're at your elbow, you're not just giving into gravity and rolling down. We say shoulders are ear poison. So your shoulders need to stay away from your ears as, as much as possible. And when you drop to the elbow, you're still looking up at the bell. you got to push the earth away. Okay, so that's number one. The other one is what I call Orion's belt. And it's when you transition to your lunge, mm-hmm. Right? And now my foot, my knee, and my hand, it's critical that those three things are in a perfect line, okay? Because if they're not, if I'm here, if I'm here, if my hand is out here, then all of a sudden when I do this with 100 pounds and I get 100 pounds over my head, then all of a sudden I'm going to break somewhere. So this is Orion's belt. Boom. I'm doing it right now. I know we're not on video. But yeah, it's a shame you guys can't see this on video, but we got a couple of pictures of that. We'll put it, <laughs> we'll put it on the blog post. Yeah. Um, no, that's beautiful. And in, in all the time that I've you know heard kettlebell coaching, I've never actually heard those. So that's great. Um, you mentioned DNS outside. Yeah. Let's talk about that. They're the best, man. I remember. Um, so I guess where to begin, I think it started for me in – 2000, uh, 2008, 2009, I actually, I won't get too into this, but I had a really traumatic head injury years ago and, uh, fractured my skull. I got a plate in my head right now. My neck's a little banged up. And, um, about a decade or so after the injury is when I really started to have some issues. And the the first symptom was sort of like, I couldn't walk in a straight line. Like if we were walking together in the mall, you'd be like, dude, get off me. Like stop bumping into me. But it was like my alignment was off. And I was like, I don't know what's going on here. Um, and my neck was messed up from this injury. And, you know, we're, we're athletic and we're good at compensating. And when we were young, especially. And, and so I got away with it for a while. But as I started to rack on the miles at the time, I was running 70 miles a week. And if you got a minor issue in your neck, in your, your stack, as Alexander would call it, mm-hmm. uh, you got a minor issue in your stack 
70 miles a week, it becomes a major issue. Um, and so uh, it manifested itself in a, in a pretty kind of asymmetrical fashion um, over those over that grind. And um, I ended up hiring Eric Cressy, who maybe you've had on the show. We have not, but I'm familiar um, with him. We'd love to have him on the show. He's awesome. And, you know, if you're looking for podcast guests, his right-hand man, Tony, um, who I think has now opened his own facility, Tony Gentilacore, is another amazing guy that helped me a lot. I actually just saw a video. He got his – he deadlifted 600 yesterday. He crossed that threshold. That's amazing. So congratulations, Tony, if you somehow hear this. Yeah, man. Uh, Tony's a stud. He's a great dude. Um, so anyways, I hired Eric, and, and Eric at the time was really into PRI, uh, Postural Restoration Institute, and, and that's what I needed because I was like – I think I – to me, I looked like Quasimodo because I just had this major asymmetry that just 70 miles a week, all of a sudden I was just this torque. Um, and so PRI was sort of the first hint because he started to make me, you know, do lat stretch breaths and things like that. But then he taught, he had a, he had a guy named Neil Ramp, who's a strength conditioning coach from the Diamondbacks, teach a class at his gym. And I was just a customer of Eric, but I went to the seminar and I watched Neil give somebody a pressure point and it made them move like a, like a crawling pattern. Like he shoved his finger into some dude's back and shoved the other one in his neck. And after a minute or two, the guy started on his back doing a motion of crawling. Hmm. And it's reflexive locomotion. And I'm like, what in the world? It was one of those moments where you're like, I know nothing. Like I have no right. I got to quit. I can't train clients. I don't know anything about the body because that dude just put his finger in someone's neck and made him crawl. Right. Um, I apparently know nothing about anything. And so I started to really kind of get into it. And then I've always been into, I've already talked about kids. I've mm -hmm. always been into kids mm -hmm. and watching them move and develop. And when I started to talk to Neil and ask about where that, where the hell that came from, he said the Prague school. Mm -hmm. And if you look into the Prague school and the DNS, it's all uh, developmental kinesiology. This is a three month position. This is a six month position. This is a nine month position. And, um, that's, that's sort of it. And I just kind of got obsessed with it. And, um, and when I was fast forwarding, so fast forward, when I was trying to fix myself, it wasn't until I really, what the DNS taught me was, yeah, there's motion and there's movement and there's important milestones of, of development. But what it really taught me is that until you're breathing well, you're not going to fix anything. Yeah. And I guess to be clear for our listeners, we're talking DNS, dynamic neuromuscular stabilization. Yep. We had, uh, when I had my gym back in Roanoke a few years ago, we had a guy come in who had worked with Prague Institute. Uh, his name is Russ Moon. Um, and he did a class on DNS for us. And uh, it was phenomenal. Right. It's, it's one of those things where, like you said, it's like, how do we not know this? How right. is this not more mainstream? Right. Right. It's, it's, when you when you do it well and you do it right and you realize the power of it, I think, you know, I've watched athletes put a lot of weight on their deadlift in one day mm -hmm. just because they're not stabilizing well. And your brain isn't going to let you pick up a heavy weight if you're not stabilized well. And it's it's like it's like trying to walk with a twisted ankle. If you've got a twisted ankle, maybe you don't want me to know because we're cool and you're fit. You can't hide it. Right. Your brain's like, dude, too bad. You got a bad ankle. You're going to limp. And it's no different if you have weak or, or dysfunctional stability. Your body, Tony's not lifting 600 pounds if he's not, if his abdominal cavity is not filling. Right. And uh, my hypothesis, and obviously that of the Prague school, if I distill it 
for myself, it's like your hamstring's probably tight because it's trying to stabilize your pelvis because you're not filling it right. So don't stretch your hamstring, work on filling your, your gut with air. And, um, I think, I think that's, yeah, that's it, man. It's so, so give us, give our, give our listeners who may not be familiar with DNS some ways that they can start to either be more aware of it or, um, optimize their breathing patterns. I think the best thing for people to do, and and this is kind of a combination of DNS and pro and, um, PRI, but PRI makes you blow up balloons. Uh, and I think focusing on exhalation, so many of us, uh, we're locked in inhalation. Okay. So whether it's stress or it's just patterning, if I sit at a desk, I become an upper body and a lower body. And sometimes I become a left and a right. And so when we have that sort of dysfunction, from a, from, a, from a muscular standpoint, sometimes our breathing gets dysfunctional just because structurally we're in a position that your diaphragm can't function well. And then other times we're, we're holding on to stress and all these other things that make us breathe dysfunctionally. So I think blowing up balloons is number one. And then if you combine the two concepts, lie on your back with your feet in the air because a six-month-old can lie on their back with their feet in the air all day but you and me and, and everyone else, 30 seconds, we're tired and we're cramping in our quads. Well, how come a baby with no muscle, they can't even stand? They can do it longer than we can. Well, because they're stabilizing perfectly, right? Their breath is filling and they're using an inner unit that, that we've built an outer unit on top of. And so we, we didn't need to keep using it. But um, so a baby can lie on its back for a long time. We can't because they stabilize well and don't have the option to use outer unit muscles to do it. So if somebody wants to blow up balloons, number one, but if they lie on their back with their feet in the air like a six-month-old and blow up balloons, you'll really find some dysfunction, okay? So a lot of people can't do it. Mm -hmm. And so that's your homework. And as soon as you start doing that, you'll feel things moving around and, and you'll get better at it. And all of a sudden, you might get stronger. Your hamstrings might loosen up. You might feel more focused, more grounded, all the benefits of, of breathing and filling your body with the right oxygen. You know, it's funny as you're talking about the blowing up balloons, uh, Franco Colombo was one of the strongest and most aesthetic bodybuilders back in the golden era, yep. you know, was Arnold's training partner. And he used to blow up hot water uh, balloon or uh, like the, the thing you would put on your ear when you have an ear infection, right. a hot water bottle or yeah. whatever. And he would blow it up to, to the point where it would actually explode. Right. Um, and, and it's funny, you, you mentioned the power of exhalation. We just had Stephen Porges on the show a couple of weeks ago. And I mean, he's the guy who posited polyvagal theory. He's the guy in the 60s who discovered HRV. And he's talking about, you know, the importance of exhalation and how that increases vagal tone, which is synonymous with elevating HRV. Right. So you're getting it, it's just it's I love seeing, you know, the the similarities between you know, somebody like Stephen Porges, who's a researcher and, you know, somebody like you who, I mean, you embody this stuff, you live it and you, you help people on a daily basis with it. So it's, it's cool to hear, you know, similar trains of thought from, from different areas. Um, where can our listeners get more of you, Joe? Uh, Instagram coach Joe DI, actually Facebook and Instagram coach Joe DI. Uh, and then obviously Runga, if you type in Runga on Facebook, it should come up. There's a band called Bic Runga. Just ignore that. It's, uh, it's a tr it looks like a TP. It says Runga. And on Instagram, it's go underscore Runga. Okay. Final question. I'll give it to you, and then I'll give you some time to think. I'll buy you a little bit of time. All right. Your top three tips to live optimal. Top three tips to live optimal. I mean, number one is breathing. 
and I started, I did a TEDx talk on breathing and it's funny, we can, we can talk about the exhalation thing. You can think about, um, inhalation as being sympathetic mm-hmm. and exhalation as being parasympathetic. Mm-hmm. And that's the two sides of HRV, right. Right? right? So breathing optimally, I mean, we can go three weeks without food. We can go three days without water, but in 30 seconds of holding our breath, we'll start to get anxious and in three minutes we'll die. So if we think about wanting to improve our health, should we start with the thing that we can go three weeks without? Should we start with the thing we can go three days without? Or should we start the thing that kills us in three minutes if we don't do it? <laughs> so breath uh, is number one. Number two is walking. I think everyone is, is really obsessed with mobility. And uh, how do I get more mobility? Well, you stop doing what's tightening you which is typically not being active. And I, I always say, you know, we're very sport specific, specific adaptations to impose mm-hmm. demands. If you're, if you're an exercise scientist or you went through school, said principle is numero uno. Mm-hmm. Well, if you practice horseback riding eight hours a day and you practice throwing baseballs one hour a day, what are you going to get better at? You're going to get better at horseback riding. Well, if I sit at a desk eight hours a day and I work out and stretch my hip flexors one hour a day, I'm going to get better at sitting at a desk. Uh, and so walking is, especially in a minimalist shoe or barefoot, your body knows how to fix all these mobility issues. It just needs the right dosage of input to fix itself. So walk 10,000 steps a day minimum. If you want to do a Spartan race, you want to you know, do something long, you want to get fit, you want to loosen your hips, walk 20,000 steps a day. Um, and then uh, let's see, so breathing, walking, and um, let's see, number three would probably be um i'll let you think about it for a little bit okay yeah buy me uh, some time i'll jump in and just remind our listeners go to naturalstacks.com for the uh, blog post for this we'll have links and resources for you guys to follow up um go to itunes leave us a five-star review let us know how much you like the show uh do not have one to read for you today because we're recording this um in person at the bulletproof conference um, but when we read your review on the air, we will hook you up with a care package as a thank you. And finally, share the OPP with the people in your life that you know will benefit from and enjoy the things that we're talking about. A lot of good information from Joe today to share with the active people uh, in your life or anybody who wants to get healthier. Right. Number three? Number three is you're an average of the five people you spend the most time with. And guard that with your life. Breathe, walk, and surround yourself with people that add to your energy, your vitality, your mood. Detractors detract. And, mm-hmm. and that is a real thing. You are an average of the five people you spend the most time with. So if you need to, go out of your way, do weird things, but don't let people in that, don't, that you don't want in that circle. Because the benefit of being surrounded by people that add and people that are smarter than you, people that are fitter than you, people that are, are more emotionally grounded than you, like the benefit you can't even, you can't even measure. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's number three. Beautiful. Joe, thanks for hanging out with us today. Yeah, man, Ryan, this was super fun. Yeah. If you guys are listening, thanks a lot. We'll talk to you next week.